Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come up to me. And if not, I will know. And two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we do give you thanks as always, and we pray that you would work your wonder in our hearts, that we might know you more fully during this time, we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Please be seated, and if you would, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. I was asked uh, about two years ago or so, uh, maybe it was a little bit longer than that, uh, to go and visit a family, an elderly couple in their home, and so I went to visit their, the, the home and I met with them, and after a few minutes they wanted to, of course, show off their family, as many folks do, and so they invited me into the hallway. The wife took me into the hallway to see this picture of the family. It was blown up, very large picture that was taken of the family, and it was beautiful. It was, uh, it was taken from the top of a mountain over this beautiful valley, and it was in the fall, which is my favorite, and at the peak of all the colors, everything was gorgeous. There was this beautiful little river winding down through the valley, and there was this quaint little town off to the side and a nice little white church right in the middle of the town. It was fabulous. I just sat there and just soaked it in. It was glorious. And then after a while, we went back in and sat down, and the husband said to me, well, what do you think? And I thought for a second, what do I think about what? And he says, what do you think about our family? And it occurred to me that I never saw the family. I was so taken by the backdrop, by the glory of the backdrop, and how wonderful it was that I completely missed the point of the picture and what they were showing me. And so then I, you know, I lied the rest of the time. No, I, you know, I said, I, I got to go look again. And then I actually looked and saw the family because I was so taken by the backdrop, by the, the background and, and how beautiful and wonderful it is. Just the opposite when we come to Sodom and Gomorrah, when we come to Genesis 19. Lots of us get the impression here that we're about to read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that the center of the picture is going to be God's raining down justice upon this wicked nation. And that's not the point. The point of Genesis 19 is redemptive history, the same point of all of Scripture. It is to communicate the salvation of our God, and that is portrayed so clearly for us in the story of Lot and his salvation. The destruction of Sodom is in the background. It's the, the, the deep background of what is taking place here. What we are learning in Genesis 19 is not about the destruction, the wickedness of Sodom. It is about the glory of God in saving Lot and his family. But it's hard to ignore the background, especially when the background is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of us have in mind certain images of what that might promote, and of course the text does speak of God's judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah, and so it's necessary for us to take the time and look a little bit about that very background. What does it mean here that Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah and God is about to destroy Sodom? Now, in the passage that I just read, this is from chapter 18, Verse 20 and 21, 
God says, I will go down and see if the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that word outcry is, uh, is crucial here to our understanding. This is the same word that, uh, where the Abel's blood cried out to God saying for justice when Abel killed Cain. Oh, sorry, when Cain killed Abel. Um, this is the same word that is identified of the mass wickedness of the world right before the destruction of the world through the flood. And here we have the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up against it. And the Lord hears, just on a side here, the Lord hears, the Lord sees. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that simple fact. Intellectually, we all know it's true. But here is a great emphasis again to that point. The Lord sees, the Lord hears of the outcry that against Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the word outcry here means the, the torment of the oppressed. We might have in mind what we think the wickedness of Sodom is. But as God identifies it, the wickedness of Sodom is this torment, the cry of the oppressed as they are struck here by the terrors of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we tend to think about the wickedness that is there as extraordinary. This has to be a horrific sin because of the viciousness of God's judgment and the speed and the fervor with which God judges Sodom and Gomorrah. It's easy for us to think, wow, this must be extra special evil, and so we are attracted to it the same way we're attracted to a car accident as we drive by or something like that with that morbid kind of look at wow what's so terrible about this but remember when the biblical authors reference Sodom and Gomorrah they never reference it as something unique as special wickedness as wickedness that is far above and beyond the wickedness of the rest of the world rather they hold it forward as a paradigm they hold it forward as a model of the wickedness of all of the world, everywhere around us. And so you have Jesus, when it comes to his reference of Sodom, he says the society, the world in which Jesus was living in at that time, was more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. And when the other biblical authors reference Sodom, what do they say about it? Isaiah says, this is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that they are indifferent to the oppression of the poor and the injustice in this world. They are indifferent to oppression and justice. Jeremiah says that there is rampant, uh, rampant adultery in Sodom, but also a living a life of lies and a lack of trust, a lack of faith and an unwillingness to stand up to evildoers. Ezekiel says the wickedness of Sodom is their pride, excessive wealth and resources, and a reluctance to give aid to the poor and the needy. I need you to listen to the way the biblical authors think about Sodom. A reluctance to give aid to the poor and the needy, excessive wealth, pride, an unwillingness to stand up against evildoers, a lack of faith and trust, uh, living a life of lies, rampant uh, adultery, indifferent to injustice, oppression and injustice. That sounds like my world. That sounds 
like my community. That sounds like my life. In a few minutes, we're going to hear of the wickedness of Sodom. And it is wicked. But that's not what the biblical authors see. They see the kind of wickedness that I live, that you live, each and every day. But this story is not about Sodom and Gomorrah. This story is about Lot and the salvation of Lot. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19 as we hear together the story of Lot and the salvation of Lot. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But Lot pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to Lot and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with Lot than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life, 
Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and if you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. It is not a little one, and my, wife, and my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Aren't you glad I didn't have you stand all the way through that? At the end of chapter 18, if you were with us last week or if you get a chance to read through it, you have a lot of hope. You're, you're built up with some positive uh, hope in the midst of this. A Abraham has been pleading with God, and he pleads for Sodom. He pleads for the wicked of Sodom. And he gets the God, he talks God to say, hey, if there's 50 people, is it okay? Uh, 50 righteous people, will you save the whole city? And God says, yes, he will. 45, 40, 30, 20 he says, if there are just 10 righteous people, will you save the whole city? And God says, yes, I will save the whole city if there are but 10 righteous people. And the way that the God, uh, Abraham steps God down like that, you certainly get the impression here that there's this expectation that, that there's going to be some, some righteous people. And, and then right off the bat, we meet Lot. And we get to have this story of Lot, and you go into chapter 19 with the expectation that Lot is the fulfillment of that promise, or the fulfillment of the prayer that Abraham has been making. Abraham's been praying that God would save the righteous person, and save the whole city through the righteous person, and then we meet Lot, and you have that great expectation. Do you remember the time when you first realized that you were not as good as you want to think you are? Uh, I remember fairly clearly when I, it came to me that I was not as good of a person as I wanted to think I am. I suspect most of us grow up kind of thinking that we are good people and that in general we are uh, nice and that we kind of do the good things in life. There's more good in me than bad in me and we kind of grow up thinking along those lines and like a lot of people, I think that I grew up thinking that I was a lot better than what I really was because at some point I realized that I was willing to compromise on some good things in order to get some other things that I wanted. Now, I was, I had a fairly, I was troubled, I did some trouble, got into, but it was mostly everybody else's fault. Um, but I did, I got myself in trouble a couple of times and I realized that while I was in general a fairly good kid, I wasn't nearly as good a kid as I wanted to be, or as I could be, or as I uh, thought of myself. I wasn't nearly that great of a kid. We have the impression here that Lot is going to be the righteous one that is going to be saved, and that that's the answer to the story. But the picture of Lot through the book of Genesis is very different. Now, the New Testament, in uh, uh, Second. Peter, in particular, goes out of its way to talk about the righteousness of Lot, that Lot is righteous, that Lot is identified as one of the righteous. But how do we see that righteousness? What does it mean that Lot is one of the righteous people, according to Peter in the New Testament? 
Because the way that the Genesis portrays Lot, it's very different. When we first meet Lot, he's a nephew of Abraham. He's traveling. He's been living with Abraham. The chances are he's been living with Abraham for almost 50 years. So they've been traveling together. They're they're living in the same confines. They have the same type of values, the structures, everything that you would expect of Abraham. Of course, Abraham, the father of the faithful, the friend of God, the one who walks and talks with God. Lot is learning and experiencing all of that kind of thing. And then in chapter 13... Lot's family and his uh, possessions become so big that they interfere with Abraham's, and so they split in different areas, and Abraham takes Lot up to the top of a pinnacle uh, peak and says, look out over the world. Where do you want to live? You go one way and I'll go the other way. And Lot looks specifically to the right, and he sees Sodom, and he sees the majesty and the marvel and the the wealth of Sodom and the attractiveness of the valley that Sodom is in. And he looks over there and says, I'll go that way. And in chapter 13, it says, and Sodom moved his tent toward Sodom. Did I say that right? No, I meant Lot moved his tent towards Sodom. So Lot then moves his tent toward Sodom. Chapter 14, then years have passed, and there is an attack there upon Sodom by some enemies, and we find out that Lot now dwells in Sodom. Well, Lot now no longer is looking towards Sodom. He's no longer moving towards Sodom. Now he lives in Sodom. And you come to chapter 19, verse 1, and we find Lot at the gate. Lot is sitting at the gate of the city. Now, some of you will recognize this, that the gate of the city is that spot which is the main thoroughfare. It's where everybody comes and goes. And so the the spot, the gate of the city is the spot where the elders sit, the judges of the city, the most prominent people in the city. They sit at that gate there so that they can interact with everybody that's coming and going from the city. So here we see the slow progression or devolution of Lot from being one of Abraham's uh, housemates to moving towards Sodom, towards dwelling in Sodom, towards now being a prominent person in Sodom. And the idea that Lot is the righteous one kind of runs at the face of this entire text. Now, Lot certainly has something going for him. As he's sitting there at the gate, he sees some uh, travelers coming, these two angels who have already been identified and throughout this text continue to have the appearance of a man, appearance of men. And so you have these two travelers that are coming. Lot sees them in a distance and acting in the way in which is open hospitality and the common hospitality of the time. He runs out there, or goes out to them, and he says, hey, come to my house, let me care for you. And the men, for whatever reason, say, no, no, we'll just stay in the town center. Well, Lot knows really well what the heck is going to happen if these guys are in the town center. And so he says, no, no, no. He's horrified at the thought, the possibility that these visitors to Sodom would actually place themselves in that kind of danger in the middle of Sodom. And so he pleads with them, begs them, says, no, no, please don't do this. Come to my house. And so sure enough, the men then decide to come into the house. The angels come into his house and Lot prepares a meal for them. It's unleavened bread, so you know that Lot wasn't expecting this. This is something that he's doing on the fly, but yet it's described as a feast in our text. So Lot is going out of his way, doing everything that is appropriate here, 
to care for these men. But before the meal's even finished, the whole town turns out. All the men in the town surround the house, and they are seeking to sexually abuse these two people that are showing up, and, and they're beating on the doors, and they're saying, come on out, and all this kind of stuff, and they're terrifying, and Lot, of course, is terrified of what is going to happen. First off, it's an immense breach of hospitality for something terrible like this to happen to your guests, and it's just a horrid, wicked thing, and so Lot then, the text describes it very clearly, Lot steps out of the door and pulls the door shut behind him. Now, I suspect that the only way to understand that is an act of courage on his part. He comes outside and he shuts the door before them and he says, My brothers, calling the men of Sodom my brothers, my brothers do not do this wicked thing. He's well aware that this is a wicked thing. So one at the same time, Lot is identifying himself with the Sodomites, with the people of Sodom, and yet at the same time, he is declaring, passing judgment upon them, saying this is a wicked thing. What do you do if you live a compromised faith before God? What do you do when you know what is righteous? When you live uh, and you participate in faithful activities for your soul. And yet at the same time, you accommodate yourselves, you accommodate yourself way too often to the society around you. What do you do when you can't fight off that temptation to adjust just slightly your character, your traits, and to compromise just a little bit to become like the people that are around you, the people that are so attractive to you, even though you know it's not good for you. Just the other day, as I was thinking about this sermon, I knew I needed to make a phone call. And I needed to make the phone call before it got too late. And I was sitting on my couch. And my couch is so comfortable. And I sat there and I thought, this is so comfortable. I don't want to get up and call, plus I don't like the person. No, I didn't say that. Uh, you know, I, 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 do I have to get up and call? And I know I have to get up and call, and yet I'm so comfortable, and the clock is ticking, tick, 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 and then suddenly it's too late to call. And I compromise because of the comfort of the world around me. And I didn't do something as simple and as straightforward as I know I needed to do. What does it mean, how do you live your life? How can you be faithful before God? How do you imagine what salvation looks like when we compromise so consistently with the world around us? My brothers, don't do this wicked thing, he says. And of course what happens is that the people around him, they turn against Lot. They said, who are you to pass judgment upon us? And of course that's what always happens. Why do they have no respect for Lot? How can they possibly not hear from this wonderfully righteous person who comes and says, well, don't do this wicked thing. Why don't they feel guilt and condemnation? Because he has so completely compromised himself. They look at him and says, who are you to pass judgment upon me? So they surround this place and then in an act of great mercy, 
They're rushing, the men of the city are rushing to do to Lot what they plan to do to these other people. And, uh, the, and the, the angels pull Lot into the house to keep him safe. And the men then start banging on the door and look at the end of this, the, this paragraph. It's marvelous text. It, it identifies so clearly the wickedness in our hearts. The angels strike the men with blindness. And yet the men wear themselves out, groping for the door. Can you imagine this? So caught in their wickedness, so caught in their idolatry, so caught in the evil in their hearts, that even when they're struck with blindness, they can't stop. They wear themselves out, groping for the door. How desperately they want this sin in their lives. So then the angels say to Lot, they say, hey, do you have anybody else here? Is there anybody else in the city? Picture the grace here. Remember what we talked about last week, if you were here last week, or what you read in Genesis 18. God's grace is so extensive. He wants so much so to be merciful to the masses. And so then he says to Lot, he says, hey, do you have anybody else here? Do you have sons-in-laws, daughters-in-laws, other sons, something like that? Gather everybody together because God is a-coming. And destruction is on its way. And so then, what does Lot do? Lot then says, well, he's got these two virgin daughters. We've heard them already. Oh, man, we didn't even go back to that. Okay, it's a wonderful act of care on Lot's part that he sticks himself in his protection between the men of the town and his two guests. It's a, a great act of courage. But whatever accounts for this guy disappears immediately when you realize what he was doing. I have these two virgin daughters. Now, he lives in Sodom, and yet he's got these two virgin daughters. That tells you something about the way he's caring for and raising for his family. And yet, at this spot in his life, he offers the two daughters to the men of the city. This is a, a, a wickedness. And again, we talked about earlier, this is the wickedness that is appropriate in our own lives each and every day. Not on the odd moments. Not in the wickedness that's outside this church. But in the wickedness of the hearts of men and women everywhere. And so then he says, you've got these two virgin daughters. Now, they were probably pledged to be married. They were, and so there are these two son-in-laws. And Lot goes to the two son-in-laws, and he says, hey, get up. we got to go. God's about to nuke this place. And the two sons-in-laws laugh at him. I don't have any sons-in-laws, but my daughter's dating somebody. Better not laugh at me. Not, not before he gets married, at least. It, they laugh at him. They, don't, they think, how compromised must you be emotionally? How compromised must you be spiritually? How weak must be your witness and your testimony before this world if when you announce the destruction, the coming destruction of this world, they laugh at you? You can't even, and Lot's like, no, I'm not kidding. And they're like, I'm going to get out of here. 
And Lot's like, don't you realize what's happening? Oh, you're being funny. Lot has no moral authority, zero, to even communicate to his sons-in-laws the danger that they are in because they see him for who he really is. He is a compromised believer, a faithless believer. That's way too many points. So then the night ends. And salvation, by the way, in the scriptures is always wonderfully articulated as in the morning. So here you've got the morning dawns, and here comes salvation. It's a wonderful image of the idea of night passing and the dawn breaking in and God bringing salvation, all those wonderful images. So the dawn now comes, and the angels say to Lot and his family, get up, let's go. And you've got the most miserable and wonderful statement in this whole story at the end of the verse 15, beginning of verse 16. Beginning of verse 60, up, take your wife and your two daughters and, uh, uh, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. <laughs> but Lot lingered. You've got two angels who have the ability to blind everybody in the city who are telling you that this place is about to be destroyed. And you go and you tell your sons-in-laws that it's about to be destroyed. And then they say, okay, it's time to leave. And yet, Lot lingers. He knows what is true. He knows what is right. But he hesitates. He can't leave the comfort of his life. Even in the midst of this coming devastation. Now, if that doesn't sound all too often like you, you need to look in a mirror. Lot hesitates. He lingers. And the angels are pulling their hair out. Do angels have hair? Angels are, are they're just, what? How can you possibly be lingering here? What are you possibly doing? And here, note this. This is verse 16. It is marvelous. But they lingered. A lot lingers there. And then in verse 16. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to him. Of course, just like this story is not about the destruction of Sodom, this story is not also, it's also not about the character of Lot. It's not about Lot's failure. It's not about how Sodom is so much like our world around us. It's not how much like Lot all of us are. This passage is about the salvation of our God in mercy. The extent of God's mercy extending even to this absolute putz of a guy who lingers in the midst of the destruction that is coming that offers his two daughters to be abused like they have to all these kind of things in the midst of all of that here God then takes them by the hand he grabs them 
by the hand and yanks them out of the city. Why? Not because Lot is righteous. The righteous don't need mercy. But precisely because Lot is compromised and Lot is not who he should be and not as who, Lot is not who we are called to be. And so then God comes, grabs him by the hand and pulls him out of the city. Is there anybody here that can't see their own salvation exactly that way? God has grabbed you by the hand when you were hesitating, when you were lingering in sin, when you were compromised by the comforts of the world around you, when you had no desire to be anywhere other than where you were, even with the destruction coming. God grabs you by the hand and he pulls you out of the city. And the angels say to Lot, flee to the hills. Go protect yourself. That's where your salvation is. That's where God is. And Lot says, I'm scared. I don't want to go to the hills. Please don't send me. Here's a little city over here, Zor. Send me there so I can still have my comfort and my care. And at this point, the angels are utterly bald because they've pulled all their hair out. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. Fine. Just go. The mercy of our God, even in the midst of being yanked out of destruction, yanked out of destruction, still Lot can't get it. So if Lot is such a compromised believer, if I am such a compromised believer, if faithlessness attaches itself so intimately to you, how then are we saved? Our Lord grabs us by the hand and has yanked us out of destruction. Our God has saved us through his great mercy. Why Lot? Well, if you come back next week, you'll find out. But just as a preview, look at verse 29 if you have your Bibles open. If not, listen carefully here. Listen to verse 29 of chapter 19. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And so when God destroyed the cities of Sodom, he remembered Abraham. Remember the prayer? If there's but ten righteous people won't you save the wicked? Thank the Lord that there was one righteous person, Jesus Christ our Lord, that he might save the wicked. Let's pray. God in heaven, how...
we yearn for uh, faithfulness, how we yearn not to be compromised, but to be those kind of believers that carry that moral authority, that carry that standing in this world, who would please you in all that we do. Lord, we desire that, well aware that that is not who we are. God, nevertheless, you have reached out and grabbed us. You have seized us by the hand. We acknowledge that. We rejoice in that. That is the story for each of us we know. Anchor that deeply in our hearts, Lords, and we give you praise and thanks for the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.